as we uh, think about life and what's going on in life, I saw yesterday uh, an old Peanuts cartoon written by Charles Schultz. And Linus is begging Lucy to tell him a story. And she says no and kind of walks off. And he's there, please, in the next uh, section of the cartoon. And she sits down and he thrusts a book into her lap. And she takes the book and she just opens the book and says, A man was born, he lived, and he died. And then she closed the book and threw it over her shoulder and walked off. And I thought about, unfortunately for many people, that pretty well sums up the testimony of their life. They were born. They lived. They died. The end. But for us as believers... We are given an opportunity to live a life with purpose and passion. A life on mission that can make a difference, not just for life, but for eternity. And as we think about this difference, it all comes down to living out what God has called us to live. And when we think of the four elements of our mission statement at our church, that we exist to love God, love others, share Jesus, and make disciples. I want you to be able to come to the end of your life and people say more than he or she was born lived and died, but instead that they made a difference and they lived with purpose. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Luke chapter 5. We're going to pick up and look at a narrative on the first 11 verses in Luke chapter 5 as Jesus does and shows himself and calls his first disciples. Luke chapter 5, picking up in verse number 1. Luke 5, one. as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake, the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, that is Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those who were with him 
were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought their boats to land. They left everything and followed him. With that, let's pray. God, thank you for the truth in your word. And Lord, as we have looked today, uh, you are amazing, Lord Jesus. So help us in our amazement of you to say yes to whatever you speak to us about today. God, even as we begin, may our yes, our life, be laid open before you, submitted to you, that whatever you speak to us, whatever you call us to do, we'll say yes in your name. Amen. I enjoy fishing, but I am so thankful that my life and my food consumption is not dependent on how well I fish. There have been days when I have fished and have not done well. Those are frustrating days. Here, as Jesus is preaching and people are pressing on, he is on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. And while he is with them, uh, these people that are following, there are Simon and James and John. They are there with their boats. And so he gets into Peter's boat and he sets off just a little bit and he begins to teach God's word. I understand this. On Wednesday night, I teach cubbies, three and four-year-olds, their Bible story. And to be honest with you, I have, there's a little Velcro strip that is on the ground so kids don't get too close to me because when they're that little, they all want to be in your lap when it comes to time to tell a story. So everybody wants to get close to Jesus and everybody wants to scoot in. And so Jesus gets in the boat and he sets off just a little bit out into the water and he begins to teach them God's word. Now, Peter and His brother Andrew and James and John are there and they're cleaning up their nets and they're probably tired and frustrated after a long day. And that's when Jesus says, hey guys, I'm done preaching now. Why don't you go out into the deep water and throw out those nets? It's like, Lord, we've just been cleaning our nets. Lord, we have just uh, fished all night and caught nothing. But because you say so, or at your bidding, we'll do it. You know, not every moment of obedience is joyful obedience. But there is an aspect of dutiful obedience that just says, this is what God's calling me to do. So even though I don't feel joyful about it at the moment, I'm going to do what God, or what Jesus tells me to do. And so at that moment, they set out into the deep water. Again, probably frustrated. They said that they've worked hard all night and caught nothing. Now, the fish would school up in those shallow areas during the nighttime, and that's when they would cast out their nets. And now Jesus, who was a carpenter, not a fisherman, is telling them to go out into the deep water and throw out their nets. And they throw out their nets. And that's when all pandemonium breaks loose. Because at that moment, the nets begin to be filled with fish. And at that moment, as they are filled with fish, they call their partners over. And it tells us that 
Both of the boats were full of fish and sinking. Listen, even though obedience is not always joyful, even when it is dutiful, blessing always follows obedience. Understand that. Blessing always follows obedience. When we look at God and how he speaks to us in his word, it may not feel good and it may not be what we want to do, what we feel like, or what goes with society, but blessing always follows obedience. And these guys got more than fish in their boat. What they experienced that day was a revelation of who Jesus is and a commission to serve him. When they were obedient, then their eyes were open to the greatness of Jesus and their lives were open to the call of Jesus. And so as we think about that, I want us to think about our challenge today in, in, in two thoughts. First off, if, if we're going to, to share Jesus and make disciples the way that he calls us to, just like he called them, he says, no longer are you going to fish, you're going to now catch people. If we're going to share Jesus and make disciples, first, we must come to the place where we embrace Jesus as Lord. We embrace Jesus as Lord. Now, notice what happens when they begin to catch those fish. It tells us that Peter falls at Jesus' knees and says, Go away from me because I am a sinful man, Lord. Lord. Through the frustration of all night fishing. And could you imagine while Peter is listening to Jesus preach at that moment? I have to think, he's thinking, man, I wonder if we should have just went over to this hole over here. I wonder if we had caught more fish over here. Second guessing himself on, man, we worked hard all night. How am I going to support my family? How am I going to pay my bills? All of these things trickling through his mind while Jesus is teaching, just like many of you, obviously, as I begin to preach, man, whoo, your mind can go a million different directions. So you have to reel that in. And Peter reels that in, and then he hears those words from Jesus that you're to go and to let down your nets. When we think about embracing Jesus as Lord, we recognize he is Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. Now, as Lord, he, he, Peter bows on his knees before him and comes before him, but the, he, Peter has noticed three attributes about Jesus that show that he is Lord. First off, he's sees that Jesus is omniscient. In other words, that he is all-knowing. Jesus knows where the fish are. Jesus is all-knowing. When we think about our life and what we're to do and when we're to do it and how we're to do it, understand this, Jesus is all-knowing, and he guides, he'll speak through his spirit, he'll speak through scripture, but Jesus knows everything. He knows where the fish are. Wouldn't you just love to fish with Jesus? Man, you don't need radar, sonar, fish finders. You don't need a, a guide. You just fish with Jesus. Here, they throw out their nets and they catch baskets full. Over in Matthew chapter 17, uh, Simon Peter is, is questioned in, for not paying the temple tax. Him and Jesus, have you guys really paid the temple tax? So in Matthew 17, Jesus tells him, go out and catch a fish and there'll be a coin in it. I'm telling you, if you ever go fishing in heaven, you want to go fishing with Jesus. The same thing happens in John 21 with the catch. They fished all night, and Jesus tells them, Hey guys, cast your nets on the right side of the boat. And they cast their net on the right side of the boat, 
And John even records that they caught a 153 fish. Now, I don't know about you. I've had the good fortune at times to be throwing a, a multi-hook, uh, kind of a, a rapella-type bait where I've caught two fish at the same time. But never have I come close to 153 in one catch. So Jesus would be the person to fish with. Matter of fact, in John 21, after they pulled all those fish in, it tells us that Jesus had a fire going and had fish already cooking. And I thought, now this guy is the guy to fish with. He knows where all the fish are. He brings the fish in, and then he knows how to cook them too. I thought, this is perfect. When you get to heaven, ask to fish with Jesus. Jesus is all-knowing, but he's not only all-knowing, but he's all-powerful. Who do you think brought those fish? These guys, it tells us, they are amazed. And they are amazed because they've never seen anything like this. And this is more than just luck or coincidence or catching it right. They have just labored and worked hard all night and caught nothing. And now they recognize that the all-knowing, all-powerful Lord Jesus has brought all these fish so that they have now filled up two boats. Two boats. Jesus is all-knowing and Jesus is all-powerful. But then it tells us that Peter comes and he falls on Jesus' knees and he calls him Lord. Jesus is worthy of worship. He is worthy of worship. Peter knew that no Old Testament uh, verse would ever promote someone falling before another man and calling him Lord. Peter knew what he was doing. He fell before Jesus in worship and said, depart from me or Lord, get away from me. What am I doing here? I'm a sinful man, Lord. He knew. Did you know that one day, one day the Bible tells us Every knee is going to bow before Jesus as Lord. One day, every knee is going to bow. And that one day, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord. Not only do we see that Jesus is Lord in this passage, but secondly, we see through that confession of Peter that Jesus is holy. Now, when Peter falls before Jesus, notice those words that, that Peter utters. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sin, or go away from me. I am a sinful man, Lord. Jesus is holy, Lord. What, go away from me. What is a guy like me doing here with you? The holy second person of the Godhead. Why am I here? This, this mirrors what happened in Isaiah 6. When it tells us that Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, saw the Lord. And he saw him high and lifted up. And you remember Isaiah, he said, Lord, depart from me. Oh, oh woe is me, I'm ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. He was convicted of his sin when he recognized the holiness of God, Isaiah. And now Peter is convicted of sin as he sees the holiness of Jesus. I don't know if you follow fishing, but even if you don't, this hit big time news. September the 30th on Lake Erie. 
there were a couple of guys, uh, Jacob Runyon and Chase Kamiski, who were in a walleye fishing contest. And these guys, when it came time to weigh their fish, they weighed their fish for the size of the fish, weighed a little heavy. And the judge, they cut a fish open and it was filled with lead weights. And uh, they had taken fish fillets and put them in the fish. Cheating at a fishing tournament. I thought, dude, I mean, who cheats at a fishing tournament? Well, I'll tell you, there was $28,000 on the line, and so people cheat at fishing tournaments. And you say, oh, how could anyone ever do that? Let me just challenge you. It's easy for us to look at somebody else and say, how could they do that? When we know that Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 1 that we are to be holy as he is holy, and yet we walk through life with unconfessed, unrepented of sin dwelling in us. Continual, habitual sin before a holy God that dishonors him, disrespects him, that hurts our testimony of the world before him, and yet believers, some here, may be persisting in some kind of sin in their life. And I want to tell you today, you are dishonoring, disrespecting, and shaming the person of Jesus and the blood that he has shed for you. There's a picture. Peter came to see Jesus and said, oh, oh, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Depart from me. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is holy. But next we see that Jesus is also worthy of surrender. These guys are amazed at the catch. These guys are Uh, in awe that their two boats would be filled. But we find something then happen. Jesus tells them, hey guys, from now on, you're not going to be fishing for fish. Instead, you are going to be catching people. And in the Greek, it's you're going to be catching people alive. That's the way the Greek states this. You're going to be catching people alive. You're going to be out there sharing the testimony and the witness. And notice The very last verses we read, then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. These guys were called into full-time vocational ministry. They were called to follow Jesus, and they would do that, and throughout the rest of their life, they would be in what we would consider a full-time ministry. But I want to tell you, this is not just an aspect of those people in full-time ministry. There is a sense in which when we look at our lives, we need to be willing to surrender everything. They left everything. Mark 1 tells us that that James and John, they left their father Zebedee in the boats with the hired servants. <laughs> they left everything. All these guys, they left everything. Can I tell you something about our possessions? Sometimes if we're not careful, the very things that the Lord has blessed us with as far as our possessions begin to possess us. If we're not careful, then our affection is drawn to the stuff we have instead of the Savior that died for us and saved us and our serving of him. Friday morning, just fresh and new in in my life here on this front, front pew Friday morning. Man, I just... Again, fresh and new. 
And I try to do this regularly. Just said, Lord, here I am. Lord, I surrender everything. I lay it down. Lord, house, it's in my name, but Lord, it's not my house. Lord, that's your house. You've blessed me with it. You, you own it all. I don't get to take it with me. Lord, bank accounts, retirement, cars, stuff. I even started giving the Lord some of Julie's stuff. I mean, uh, it was... <laughs> I wish he'd take some of it, believe me. Uh, understand, man, Lord, I, I, I don't own anything. I'm a temporary steward of what God has given me. And everything in my life should be laid before him and just say, Lord, this job, I'm just an interim pastor here. Yeah. David Shepard's sitting over here. He was an interim pastor. He was an interim pastor for 20 plus years here. Listen, we're all interims. Lord, I lay it before you. Lord, it's yours. Lord, you've called. Lord, you've led. Lord, you've blessed. Lord, you own it all. I don't have anything. It's surrender. It's surrender. Say, Lord, I'm yours. I've been bought with a price. Everything I have, Lord, I, I want to be a good steward of it, but Lord, I really don't own anything. Psalm 24, 1 reminds us that the Lord owns everything. The heavens and earth, they all belong to the Lord. I was... Again, I already told you I was looking at some stamps this week. And I ran across a stamp of, of great Americans. And this stamp had a picture of a lady named Virginia Apgar. And I thought, Virginia Apgar, why do I recognize that name Apgar? And then it was like, oh, Apgar. Did you know that once a baby is born, they are giving an Apgar score? I got to learn this stuff again, man. I'm going to be a grandpa here in a few months. They're given an APGAR score. How their heart is going and how they're breathing and, and, uh, how they, uh, their, their muscle tone and all of those kinds of things. How they look, their physical appearance, all of these things. They are given an APGAR score. The APGAR score tells whether and how healthy this baby appears to be. For us, if we were given a health challenge in our spiritual life, I think the Lord's looking for two elements, surrender and faith. So let me ask, how's your health score in your spiritual life? Are there signs of Surrender? Are there signs of faith? We must embrace Jesus is Lord. It starts with us. It starts here. It starts in our heart. It starts in our life. He falls before the Lord first. And then Jesus commissions and says, Now, guys, I've got a word. Don't be afraid. I want you to... uh, to go and to catch men. So we not only embrace that Jesus is Lord, then we must go to call others to embrace that Jesus is Lord. That's the, that's the challenge. 
We call others now to embrace this call that Jesus is Lord. We go with a heart of surrender and a life of faith and this picture that says, Lord, you own it all. Lord, you own me. Everything I have, Lord, is yours. I'm yours. And Lord, I'm moving forward in faith to follow your will and your direction for my life. And they left everything. But notice this call. Notice this call. I want you to go and from now on be catching people. This is a life on mission. It starts with our surrender and faith when we embrace that Jesus is Lord. And then it moves to a life on mission where we help to call others to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. This, my friends, is what life is about. You're here for a purpose. And that purpose is to call others, to encourage others, to challenge others so that they will know Jesus is Lord. There are some who've never met Jesus. And our call in life is to call them to embrace Jesus as Lord. There are some that are young in their faith. And we need to be an encourager to them so that they'll know and understand Jesus is Lord. And can I tell you, surrender and faith are daily, moment-by-moment decisions. So some who have even been in the faith for a long time need to be reminded and challenged that Jesus is Lord. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has planned out before. He has before ordained that we walk in them. One of those tasks for us is to share Jesus. Share Jesus. Notice what he calls them to do. He says, look, from now on, you will be catching people. I want you to go and to share Jesus. Now, understand, when, when Peter had that opportunity to catch fish, he could have said something like this. Lord, you know all things. You're all powerful. I've seen you do miracles. Jesus, if you desire for us to catch fish, then just let the fish jump into the boat. Instead, Peter went and do what, did what the Lord commanded him to do. And then the Lord brought the fish. Lord, if it's your will that this person will get saved, can I tell you? We're called to put our feet, our faith, and our words to go. When I surrendered to ministry on December the 1st, 1985, as a senior in high school, man, I said, Lord, here I am. I didn't have much then, senior in high school. I really didn't know anything then. Didn't know anything then. I just had a heart that said, Lord, I'm surrendered. And in January, some folks said, hey, we've got an idea. We want you to start a bus route in this area right here and go knock on doors and see if boys and girls will come to church with you. And so, every Saturday morning, knocking on doors. Why? 
because we're to pray, but we also go and we share Jesus. For some of you, there are people in your life right now that need to hear the message of Jesus. And the Lord says, you've got to throw your net out. You've got to say something. You've got to do something. This, this, This involves you. This involves you taking a step of speaking up. Share Jesus. And just as we go through life, whether it's praying for a waitress. Yesterday I was walking and a police uh, uh, law enforcement officer, he was moving. And so I just kind of stopped him and he said, oh, I'm, I'm headed somewhere. And it wasn't an emergency or anything, but I said, man, just give me your name so I can pray for you. I'm walking right now. I just want to pray for you. Listen, just little things that we can do to help share Jesus. We share Jesus and then we make disciples. We make disciples. What we're doing is helping people to grow, to become more like Jesus. This may be sitting down one-on-one with somebody. This may be that you corral a group of three or four-year-olds and begin to tell them and show them and share the stories that Jesus loves them and Jesus is with them and Jesus is powerful and God's word is true. It may be that you sit down with a group of elementary age kids or you're teaching students or you're an adult Bible uh, 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 class leader. Maybe you're teaching. Maybe you're just encouraging. But our goal is to help people become more like Jesus. We make disciples. And and may I say to, to those of us who are parents out here, and maybe even some grandparents, but mainly to those of us who are parents, we are doing more than trying to raise athletes and musicians and scholars. Our real goal in life is to raise disciples And so as you begin your your parenting adventures, and as I begin to think through probably a lot of things I did wrong and and try to coach uh, my kids through the next many years probably, it's one of those things we're not just raising kids to get out of the house. We want to raise disciples. That means that Jesus is talked about and our faith is exemplified and, and we show grace, but we show consistency. We make sure that we're showing surrender and faith along the way. I want you to go and I want you to catch people. I want you to catch people alive, make disciples. How are you helping in the disciple journey? You know why we have a ministry fair? Because every one of you are gifted in some way to help share Jesus and make disciples. It may be ministering to a family after a funeral where you've cooked a a cake. And now that family is able to fellowship and know God's love and know that their church is standing with them and people are praying for them and people care about them just to help them on their disciple journey. You can do that. Maybe it's spending some time in the prayer room or making a homebound visit. Maybe it's in volunteering in one of these areas of ministry. Maybe it's being down at the cube and, and handing out a box of groceries in Jesus' name. I want to tell you today, living on mission is not just a monthly sermon theme. Living on mission is not just something hyped for 2023. But living on mission is the call of our life. 
That if the Lord has saved us, then now he wants to use us. And listen, we all won't be used the same. We're not all gifted the same. We all won't have the same opportunities. But we can all do something to make a difference in the lives of others. We can do something. Lucy's story. A man was born. He lived. And he died. I want Buddy's story to be something more like this. A man was born. And then he was born again. He came to know Jesus. He lived. But he didn't live for self. My life verse is that Jesus died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. My life verse, 2 Corinthians 5.15. He was born and born again and lived and lived for Jesus. And he died. And he went to see Jesus. And if the Lord would have my casket here in the front, people would come by for a viewing. They would see my family members gathered. I would long, I would long, long to hear people say, he helped me to know Jesus more and helped me to become a better disciple. And that's your call. And that's my call. And the Lord leaves you with the opportunity. And he says, how are you going to live your life? Are you going to live? Are you going to be born, live and die? Are you going to be born? Make a difference for eternity. And then go to be with Jesus. And not only do I see it on this side, but I want to see it on the other side too. Man, Thank you for sharing. Thank you for caring. Thank you for praying to receive Christ with me when I was a little boy on a bus. Thank you for meeting with me in your office and sharing the message of Jesus. This is what matters. So I want to challenge you. You have a life to live and a life to live on mission. Share Jesus. Make disciples. With that, let's pray. Lord, uh, may, may we as a church family come before you with fresh and full surrender today. Lord, may our calloused hearts be broken. Your, your word in Jeremiah 23 says it's like a a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And so, Lord, crush hard hearts today. Take callous hearts and move. Take away the cow. Lord, lead us to a place of fresh surrender today. And may we share Jesus and make disciples. 
Lord, if there's someone specific that you've laid on somebody's heart that they need to cast their net out to, that they need to share Jesus with, Lord, may they seal it today. In the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.